to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Make it so. Welcome back to the Next Next Generation Podcast. I'm Catherine. And I'm Charles. And today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 11, Haven. So this is a Troy episode. It is. It's about time she got her own episode. I think so. The episode starts with them in orbit around the planet Beta Cassius, which they also call Haven because of its mystical healing powers. And they pretty much just call it Haven. The rest of the episode, yeah. Yeah, but it does have a real name too. It was foreshadowing because the episode, a lot of it was about the diseased Torellians and their potential quest to be healed and why it is a doctor and all that stuff. Okay. So they know they're going to be picking up Troy's mom, Lux. They say it so well. Every time they say it, I think I can pronounce that. <laughs> no problem. Luwaxana. Luwaxana. Yeah, they separate the L and the W. I believe so. Yeah, okay. So they have this little scene with Riker listening to some metallically dressed harpists, sexy women, but they're projections, they're holograms. But he looks so smug. It's very awkward. Yeah. A little bit odd. It's like he's watching holographic porn, almost. But they're playing the harp. (laughs) And they're dressed. His reaction to it, the way he played the part, Jonathan Frakes, was much more sexy than what they had projected. Maybe a conflict in the direction and then the end overlaying of the other image. Oh, maybe. And they decided to tone it down a little bit from what they originally had in the script. Yeah, because they seem just like something you'd put on a soothing background music. Right. When you're hanging out in your bedroom. Not something that you're going, ooh, yeah. Or even watching. Like, there was nothing to watch. No. They were just playing the harp. (laughs) It was strange. Very. He gets interrupted because Yar has a mysterious object in the transporter room. I didn't realize before that Yar is always calling Riker and interrupting him. She always is getting up in his business and calling on him. Well, I don't know if she's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe because he's the superior officer. I think it's on the level where she can't make a decision for something so out of the ordinary. I think she's supposed to report to him. I'm not saying she's doing something wrong. Okay. They just use that as a device a lot where he's busy and then she calls him. And he always is like, ugh, gotta do my job again. That's the worst. He does seem like he's reticent (laughs) to leave his quiet time. One thing I wanted to say on that point, Mm. maybe it's because that the episodes are always the unusual. It's the out of the ordinary. We don't get to see the day-to-day trappings of the ship. We're just seeing when they encounter something that is unusual. And so that's, of course, when she comes running to him because she can't handle it herself. Well, I think that thing showing up is almost like a security breach. Mm -hmm. Like it's already past security handling it. Because, like, they've already failed, in a way, mm-hmm. by having it come on. Mm-hmm. So now she needs to report the incident <laughs> to her superior officer. I can see that. Yeah, it's just funny that she's always interrupting him. I don't know if he's on duty and is just hoping no one will bother him, or if his time is not his own and he's always getting pulled away. I see that as being more likely. He is a senior officer, after all. Yeah, he's the first officer. So he's very important that he's way. He's always on duty. That makes it hard. So it's a big box. Very. From Haven. It's metal, has a face on it. That was weird. Troy shows up, conveniently, (laughs) actually, (laughs) and the face starts talking to her. 
telling her, you know, it's time to get married. I don't think it was convenient. Didn't they call her? Said it was for her. It was part of the message they were laid over. Oh, okay. So Troy's freaked out by the message mm-hmm. from the box. The box opens up and it's full of plastic jewels that are supposed to be real. She said they're bonding gifts or what we call wedding presents. Right. So she seems really horrified that, you know, she's being called in to fulfill her betrothal vow. It kind of raises a lot of questions that are never really answered about why this is so out of her hands. Yes, she seems terrified of the impending doom, almost. Yes. It seems like she really doesn't want to go through with whatever the ceremony is calling her to be. I guess married. Very serious thing among Betazoids to be married. Mm-hmm. And you sort of lose your independence entirely. Like, from now on, you're coupled in the most extreme sense of the word. Like, you have to be always together. You're very united mentally. Maybe you actually merge into being almost like a shared mind. I can see that, yeah. It's very intense, and she seems like she's not ready to make that commitment yet. She feels like she has much more to do with Starfleet, so much more she can do as the ship's counselor. She even said that she didn't expect it to happen so soon. She says, actually, and I wrote down the quote, she's certain, quote, it would never happen, end quote. Just because she was so far away, she was like, I left that behind, I'm too far away. When with warp, <laughs> can't outrun this kind of thing. You're always connected. Right. She looks like she heard that someone died or something. Picard asks her after, can you stay on the ship? Is your husband going to be moving in here? Because that's a thing. You know, the families do stay together. And she's just like, no. Like, she already has some understanding that that's impossible for some reason. She hasn't even talked to him about it yet, her betrothed Wyatt. She just has some understanding that her life as it is has to end. She can't continue to have this career with Starfleet. Like I said, they never really resolve this. They kind of mention, like, this is a Betazoid thing. That's just how they do it. But for one thing, she's not marrying a Betazoid. I was just thinking that, actually. Yeah, she's only half Betazoid, right? Yeah. This is a great example of how you can't chalk up everything that doesn't make sense to their human audience, (laughs) which is us, as just some species difference. It just didn't feel right in this case. Well, given that she's half human... Mm-hmm. and she's marrying a human, mm-hmm. why couldn't they as humans discuss and make a decision together as a couple? It makes no sense for her to just be like so certain that her betrothed that she does not know, as is clearly evident as mm-hmm. the episode progresses, he's a stranger to her completely. Mm-hmm. She just assumes that whatever he's doing is going to be more important and that she has to give that up, her yeah. position. She doesn't even him. know he'll want her to. She has no idea. No. She maybe assumes he'll... a lot. He's a doctor. Maybe he'll want to join Starfleet. They could use more doctors on the ship. Yeah, Beverly was thrilled to have him around for the brief time that he was there. To consult on all of the alien stuff. Yeah, just to talk to someone who's on her level medically. It is fun to talk shop. Yeah, talk shop. Yeah, she doesn't have someone to talk shop with most of the time. Yeah. If she were still enmeshed in that culture and that was normal, you know, arranged marriage is fine. But since she's kind of left all that and carved out her own life, There's no compelling reason that she has to follow through. That was never really addressed. I agree. She talks to Picard in his office right after she finds out the news. She mentions it's genetic bonding, which they also didn't explain. A little bit of techie speak and move on. Mm -hmm. Picard is a class act, though, even though she said she's leaving, which is right in the middle of her commitment. He's like, well, congratulations. You know, I wish you the best. He's very, very nice. Although he is worried about her, I think. He does seem concerned. Riker is really upset. 
Oh my goodness, is he upset? You can see it on his face. He's yeah. seething almost at he, it. He's in the ready room with Picard and Deanna when they're talking about it. Picard leaves after, you know, being classy. And Riker's like, this is bizarre. I'm not happy. And she says, well, we can't get married because you want to be a ship captain. Apparently, there's some limitations on that. Could be Riker being a little dramatic. He is melodramatic oh, throughout the yes. episode. He's very dramatic. <laughs> so it may not be that he can't be married. It could just be that he feels like he couldn't balance the duties of a ship captain with having a family. He still wants Troy to have that relationship. And I think in his mind, he thinks that she somehow in some way belongs to him or is part of who he is. Yeah. In spite the fact that they are not currently a couple, although we could talk about their former bonding as shown in Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, so they've clearly established that they do have that romantic history. Right. Which is fine. But they've also shown us that they haven't been pursuing a romantic relationship since the show started. Right. So Riker wants her to just wait around, I guess, even though he's not pursuing her at all and not continue on her life. It's fine he's upset about the arranged marriage, but he would be upset about anyone, clearly. Seems like he wants her as his steady girl who's like his backup person. Yeah, they haven't even established that much, you know? Like, he's being extremely presumptuous. Very. He has no reason to think that she can't find someone, (laughs) even if he doesn't want to make a commitment to anyone. Right. The Millers arrive. We laughed a lot. I think Dad's name is Stephen Miller. (laughs) Felt really anachronistic, actually. Yeah, they could have made it more sci-fi-ish, futuristic, if they had changed it slightly. Like, instead of doing Steven, do, like, stuff something. Yeah, Game of Thrones does a good job with that. Well, some of the names are the same. But a lot of them are very similar to what we have, but slightly altered. So Mm -hmm. they still feel like names, but they're not the same. I think they should have done something like that, yeah. For example, Rickon. Right, Rickon is perfect. Yeah, Stephen Miller. (laughs) So the Millers, I wrote down, they're superhuman. I don't mean that they're superheroes. They are the most human-seeming, normal kind of characters we've seen. They look like they're an old couple from a 70s TV show. (laughs) That's what I wrote down. They're kind of from that era where if you're not still raising children, you know, that age group, you're old. Wyatt is really young. He even acts younger than he actually is given that he has a doctorate right he's probably supposed to be 30 right yeah but he seems much younger and deanna is like clearly a woman over 30 is that the casting they picked someone who looked like he was 22 i think they picked someone who was like slender and not an athletic warrior type actually Mm -hmm. i did think about that And that may just read younger because he's not such a manly man, you know, like a lot of the characters are. Seems younger because he's more normal, (laughs) fine boned, no Mm. beard. Gotcha. Makes him look more boyish. So he brought her this chameleon rose as a gift that changes color with the mood of the holder. And it changes color, but no one ever comments on what the color means. I thought that was going to be used as a device. Yeah, they could have explored that a little bit more than they did. It seemed like a major throwaway. Completely. Yeah, because it did change color when she took it. It turned white. And he could have been like, oh, no, it turned white. Are you okay? He was so distracted, though, because we find out later she's not what he expected. I thought that it was interesting when we learned that Troy does not have full Betazoid telepathic abilities. 
like her mother.、Mm-hmm. We have established already in the series that she is an empath and can feel the emotions of others. When he gives her the rose, he also gains that ability. If she's holding it, he, in a similar way, is also empathic. He can see what she's feeling.、Mm. It would have been a great plot device and a great development to see them interact with equal footing. I know how you're feeling, and she knows how I'm feeling. Oh, good point. But in this case, like you said, it was a throwaway thing. They never used it,、mm-hmm. and I was disappointed by that. I really wanted to see an equal footing interaction from the two characters. That's a great concept. It wouldn't surprise me if they had thought something like that. Right. Whatever happens between the original concepts for the episode and the finished product, they obviously cut out a lot from the chameleon rose. They should have just cut it out entirely if they weren't going to use it. It was weird. So you already mentioned her mom. I have. Lawaxana. Lawaxana. She shows up for the first time. Spoilers: She's a recurring character. She is a really annoying person. <laughs> I love her so much. Yeah, she's fun to watch. But you, would you want to interact with her? I know a few women in the past that I've interacted with that were similarly a little bit、uh, off-putting. Someone calls her eccentric. I wrote that down. I think that might be Deanna. That's an understatement. Putting it very mildly. Very. I wrote down she's a dish. Very over the top. And she lectures Picard. <laughs> the real test of what kind of person she is is all shown in how she interacts with Picard. She is a loud, forward, assertive, assuming person, and clueless at the same time. Yes, she thinks because she can feel everyone's emotions and read everyone's minds that she knows exactly what's going on, but she really is just taking in whatever she thinks is the way it should be and、She's- ignoring everything else. She's filtering her own perceptions and her own skewed worldview、yeah. into it. I also don't know how much of what she says she actually means. You can see、yeah. <laughs> a lot of the times that she's just messing with everyone. She's trolling see, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to see what they're gonna think about her, and it's almost like a technique trying to throw everyone off their game so she can get deeper into their minds. Maybe you might be right. Like she says something that's obviously wrong just to read their reaction to that. Hmm. Okay. Maybe I'm not giving her enough credit. She seems very intelligent, shrewd,、uh-huh. very cougarish,、yeah. and a lot of sexual advances towards basically everyone. Yeah, she has a very high sex drive. That's part of her character. Yeah, she seems like she loves to be in the limelight. Most important person in the room、mm-hmm. is always going to be her. Yeah, I actually like that character in general. Those sort of characters are always fascinating and fun to watch. She is definitely someone who, in real life, I would try to shy away from、yes. and not be near. Because, oh my goodness, can I just say this? Hashtag toxic. Yeah, very toxic. She's a great character for a lot of reasons.、Mm-hmm. Having her be Troy's mom sets up that contrast. Lovely. Um, and also is convenient because she doesn't have the personality that would have gotten her like a crew position on the Enterprise. No. They're all serious and hardworking, with some variation, you know, but they take things seriously. And she does not.、Mm-mm. She also, I wrote down, she thinks she's advanced, <sighs> like she's advanced beyond <laughs> what humans can understand. It's very funny. She makes Picard take her bags. And he does because he's the model of politeness, but it's so rude and、um, out of place. I was thinking that she reminded me of the arrogance of Q from the previous episode.、Mm-hmm. She assumes a lot. 
has the air of I am better than everyone here, like I mm-hmm. mentioned before, and I like the parallel of the two characters that way. To be fair, we have in the past wanted more species that were superior to humans, higher yeah. intelligences, uh-huh. not stupid like the Ferengi and the rest of them. Right. So it's nice to see another character who is of that level, but then I see that there's a common theme of when they're superior, they know it. Mm. That's something that they have a lot of trouble with. Pride is a big issue for a lot of these cultures. A running theme through Star Trek. I like groups like the Betazoids and the Klingons Mm -hmm. because they have areas where they are superior to humans. Right. Especially the Betazoids. But they're not just so beyond. Humans can't understand them. They just have like one area that they shine in. But they think they're amazing, which just shows you they're subject to the same failings that humans are. Those races remind me of almost superheroes. They have mm-hmm. one trait that makes them superhuman. Yes, one trait. Yes, exactly. But the rest of them is still basically human. Mm-hmm. And so we get to see the differences, but more importantly, like you said, the similarities between the two. Yeah, they're not really evolved past humans. They're just different. In one key aspect. In one key aspect, yeah. Right. And I have written down, but you already mentioned this. This is the first time we realized Deanna doesn't have full Betazoid powers. She can't read minds. No. Unless she has a very special connection, similar to the connection that she and Riker share, Mm -hmm. in that they can telepathically communicate. Mm -hmm. Maybe she can't read his mind, but there's something unique and special there between them. To that point, I wanted to say that because they have that sort of level of bonding between the two of them, mm-hmm. like in the first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, she calls him Imzadi in his mind, mm-hmm. my beloved. You can see that she and him are so close. Her and Wyatt, it's awkward, lots of halting words, lots of awkward pauses, mm-hmm. very, very different. She's so free and open and direct with Riker, mm-hmm. especially later on when they're on that planet. Mm-hmm. Where with Wyatt, she's pausing, she's evaluating, she's not leading with her honesty or being as open. Well, they don't know each other. Which makes sense. Yeah. Also, you know, she and Riker are more in the same part of their lives, where again, Wyatt seems very young. He does. I think maybe their telepathic link is just a side effect of being lovers. You know, like how they say you always have a connection, you can't ever get rid of that completely. For Betazoids, that's really hit home. Because they have this reminder constantly whenever they're around that person (laughs) that they have that kind of special link. We find out that there's a ship that has crossed Haven's Stargate without permission. And they're refusing to talk to Haven. (laughs) The Haven girl, Electroine? Electrorine? Electrorine. Electrine. I think. Electrine, yeah. She says, okay, you guys have to help us. Like, that's part of our treaty. You have to destroy the ship. Right. But they don't want to. They want to find out more about it first. I think it's understandable. I don't think it was supposed to communicate that the Haven people are hostile or anything. Okay. So it's more of a reactive. One thing about this episode that's nice is it does have two plot lines, Mm -hmm. for sure. But then they come together at the end. So Deanna and Wyatt have their first conversation. (laughs) You can call it that, but all right. (laughs) They act like children. More like teenagers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. They act like teenagers. They're just so awkward. It's like they've never talked to someone new before. Further complicated by Wyatt's obsession with this other woman that he has this mystical, dreamlike connection with and his clear infatuation and love 
for this other person or this idea of this other person that he's formulated in his mind is a huge stumbling block for the continuation of their relationship. Wyatt is so off because he's been having dreams about this woman and we see his drawings of her. I described her as a glam, blonde 80s woman. Very. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why he was so surprised when he saw Troy for the first time, because since he knew she was a Betazoid, he just assumed that she was making him have these dreams. And that all made sense to him, which honestly, that does make sense. And that wasn't the case. There's no way he could have mistaken Troy for his dream woman. The dream woman is athletic, chiseled where Troy is much more supple, classic beauty, classic figure. Yeah. Very different, Uh completely. Different personalities, everything. Wyatt seems very emotional. Seems like a bit of a martyr. And this, again, is where the whole concept breaks down a little bit. Because at least on Troy's side, you can sweep it under the rug and say, well, she's a betazoid. This is what they do with the arranged marriages. With him being a human, and no mention that he's from some human culture where they do this... It really just doesn't make any sense that he would still want to go through with the marriage. Yeah, he's not invested in her. Maybe he's just trying to honor his mom and dad. Maybe he has some deep-held loyalty or moral code that we don't get to see in the episode. Yeah. But he does seem like he's accepting of the situation and is going to go along with things. Although neither of them ever, to what I can recall, broached the topic, the elephant in the room of their betrothal that much. A little bit. But they never actually talk about it as a couple would to decide what's the best way that they want to hold the ceremony, for instance. Mm-hmm. It was the parents deciding all that. They never, ever really leave the realm of, like you said, children mm-hmm. or teenagers. Yeah. They never make decisions as adults would in the 24th century. With Wyatt, you can almost believe that because, again, like I said, I keep saying he seems so young. He seems very under his parents' thumb. But Deanna is a woman who's been holding her own in Starfleet and doing all kinds of, you know, brave and challenging things constantly. And it's so strange for her to be back in that role, being the dutiful daughter who doesn't have a say in her future. I think that shows the bad relationship that she has with her mother, that sort of switch where Mm -hmm. when she's around her mother, she sort of reverts to meet the expectations of her mother, Mm -hmm. which is for her to act in a particular way that she's been clearly trained to be or has been influenced to be. She's definitely a weaker version of herself around her mom. Her mom doesn't bring out the best in her. No. I think that's a classic trope among a lot of literature. Yeah. In real life as well. Her mom doesn't want to bring out the best in her. No, clearly not. She wants her to be weak because Luxana is so strong, there's no room for other strong people around her, especially from her own daughter. She's never going to listen to her daughter or take her daughter seriously on any level. Mm -hmm. It's clear that she thinks that she's the most important person, period. Mm -hmm. And there's really no room for that kind of person. The only thing you can do in that situation is cut them from your life, unfortunately. Best thing for her to do, I think, is to not interact with her mother. I agree. And it seemed like that's what she was trying to do. But she's not trying hard enough. No. She needs to just refuse contact with her mom. She's already made the difficult first break away. Yeah. You know, where she is living a separate life. So she needs us to say no when her mom wanted to see her, unfortunately. But then we wouldn't have the fun <laughs> of watching her mom on screen. Her mother is so much fun to watch. It is great in this episode to see all the family drama. Oh, yeah. Yum, yum, num, num. It's so good to watch. I really do like that aspect of it. But we'll get to that in just a second. Picard's worried about Troy. He knows it's not good. But then right away they find the unknown vessel. They do. 
It's Terellians. Oh, wait, you don't know what that is? Okay. <laughs> they do some exposition. <laughs> Even though they all know what they are. They were supposedly all dead. They were the victims of biochemical warfare. So this ship has been wandering around for a while, for years. And they mention it's 21st century technology, their biochemical warfare. They do major exposition. Then they need an answer and they don't have one. They don't know what to do about this ship. I think they speculate that the Torellians are probably trying to get to Haven because of the healing properties. So then they cut to the engagement party slash pre-wedding party. Right. Deanna looks beautiful in pink. She was lovely. That's her color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she looked really nice. We both noted that. For me, this is where the episode really took off. This is the best scene or sequence. The engagement party. Data's reaction to the engagement party. And then the after scene with Riker and her on the planet. You mean on the holodeck, right? The Millers want Picard to perform the ceremony. That's kind of how the scene starts. And then Luxana. Luxana. Lawaxana. Lawaxana says no, he can't possibly do a proper Betazoid ceremony, and that Hom is going to perform the ceremony. Then they get into a fight. <laughs> <laughs> the mother in laws are doing their mother in law thing, getting after each other. A lot of petty bickering. Lawaxana tries to use her pet vine to attack the other. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of great dialogue, snippy arguing, fun time all around. They are eating in this episode. Yes. That's I, new. That's a first <laughs> for this show at yeah. this point. They have a meal, like a feast. That was cool. Yeah, it was nice. Tom gets smashed, <laughs> which is very funny. And then he just starts hitting the gong a lot. And Luxana says, you know, that's just how we give thanks for food. But it's just making everyone get more and more on edge. The annoyance of it. A lot of bad sensory input for everyone. Yeah. Data is so happy and amused by it all. He is fascinated by all the bickering. It is amazing. He never gets to see this. No. Because all the Enterprise crew are so calm and collected and professional, and they've been handpicked to get along with each other, that they do. They never have this kind of fun <laughs> human drama. No. That he would love to get to watch up close. Picard wouldn't allow it. Of course not. Yeah. He's the captain after he all. He has no control over Luxana, though. None. <laughs> As is evident throughout the episode, yeah. she clearly just has her way with everyone. Yep. This leads to our data of the day, it, I think. It does. Troy has an outburst where she stomps off. Yeah, she's mad. She, That's the first time we see her mad, I think. She knocks over the gong. Riker left yes, first. Yes, yes, Riker left Which first. I think triggered her a little bit. Yeah. The fact that he was rude and just left in the middle of their feast. Yeah, a lot of things triggered. Like, it was well built. Her mom being yeah. annoying, the Millers bickering with the mother, all the good stuff. What is the data of the day? Well, someone says, stop petty bickering. And then Data says, could you please continue the petty bickering? I find it most intriguing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic He's Data. so into it. Riker goes to the planet holodeck scene. Troy follows him mm -hmm. to talk to him because he's being horrible. Very petulant. And unfair because he doesn't want a future with her. And he's trying to ruin the future she's trying to have without him. You thought that that was probably the planet where they first met, right? Or an important date or yeah. some significant moment in their lives. It just seemed too beautiful had a very dusky, romantic air. Mm -hmm. The red sunset and the purples, very romantic colors. 
to. Maybe that was like their first kiss Ooh. or something like that. Yeah, because that's where she kisses uh, Wyatt. Wyatt. That would be perfect. Mm. I think you're right. That wasn't just a random planet. No. But they didn't say. Do you remember when we were here, Deanna? And I kissed you under the twin suns. You know, that kind of thing. That would have been <laughs> not Riker. and cheesy. And not Riker. He wouldn't say that. They both know. They don't need to say. Yeah. Well, that's why they're so good for each other. So Riker's sulking. Troy is being way too nice to him, actually. Showing a great deal of empathy. Riker says then a bunch of things that you can kind of read into. He says it's unfair. He says he can't do this now. Meaning like while he's working on his career, I guess. He says something about earth traditions. I know, he really says a bunch of stuff that is like, whoa, 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 this is all new information about why Troy and uh, Riker can't be together. And he just tosses it off really fast. And then the scene moves on. I was wondering if the earth traditions was his poor attempt to explain his very bad behavior. He's tossing off his jealousy as earth traditions meaning that it's Mm. traditional male sort of dominance or possessive quality that he's feeling and so he knows that she knows exactly how he's feeling so it's his way of explaining how he's feeling to her given that she of course has perfect knowledge of what is going on he's freaking out he's having a bit of a traumatic episode maybe he didn't realize how much he still thought troy was part of his life until she might leave which doesn't do him any credit you know, that he would take her for granted that much. No, this episode does not show him off in a good light. I like that they're backpedaling a little bit with his character. Yeah. Because they made him so perfect and competent in the first few episodes. And now this episode and the last one with Q is really showing some of his flaws. Good character development. And he also says, oh, you really owe it to Wyatt to tell him about me and that kind of thing. Which is petty. Again, it's not up to him. No. But then Wyatt shows up. Oh my goodness. And makes it clear that Troy has already told him about Riker. His concerns and wishes him best of luck in his captain career. Honestly, really comes off as the better man here. Completely. Which is interesting that they went that way. He's calm and collected and mature and makes Riker look bad. Wyatt, overall comes off very well in this episode. While he has his flaws, he's very awkward. He is obsessed with this Ariana woman. He has those creepy drawings that he has of her that he clutches to his breast all the time. Yeah, that's the part that made me write martyr. Yeah. (laughs) He is a sensitive person. You can tell he's very in touch with his feelings. He's a more, I guess, to use the classic tropes, a feminine character in that way, which I don't buy into, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah. He definitely seems like he follows all of the protocol, very conscious of that. He's very different from Riker. Completely. Yes. Wyatt, by contrast, could actually make a really great husband and counterpart to Troy. They could make a nice power couple. Right. Unfortunately, his heart is somewhere else. So we're starting to think, oh, maybe this is okay. Deanna and Wyatt kiss. Everything's going well. Which is the cue for everything to not go well. (laughs) Classic Star Trek. Yeah, because we know Troy's not actually going to leave the cast. No, too early. Yeah. So the ship is within transporter range. Electroine is freaked out about it. Right. And demands that they do something now. They do manage to get in contact with the Torellians, finally. And who should show up on their screen? Were you shocked? I wasn't shocked. No. But the blonde, Ariana, that Wyatt's been dreaming about. He sees her, 
Not only is he a doctor, he has studied this case in school, the Torellians, because of his dreams, I guess, even though he didn't put it together, were probably making him more fascinated than normal with their case. So he knows quite a bit of information about it. So the Torellians just want to be quarantined on Haven, like an island where they won't affect anyone else. Right. And then they'll just live out their lives there. Because these are obviously ones that survived the illness. Of course, as we learn as the episode unfolds, that's just a pretense. They were looking for the Wyatt. And once Wyatt sees her, I mean, it's all over. Nito. Yeah, he says bye to his parents and scrams. Basically, yep. Yeah. And the episode ends and we can call it there. Good times all around. Woohoo. Yeah, we won't mention the awkward moment between Wyatt and Deanna. Nope. Where he alludes to their kiss on the planet that was really just the holodeck. And also how awkward it was when he gets in the ship and the Torellians are standing there in a group staring at him and saying, we knew you would come. And also they have sketches of him too. That to me was a low point of the episode. The actual plotting, like I mentioned before, where the two plots come together in the end, I thought was good. Are you ready to give your final thoughts and rate the episode? Let's do it. Overall, I liked this episode. It was a good time. Some really funny moments, laugh out loud. Some great character development with Riker. Some wonderful development of Troy, learning more about who she is, her limitations, how she's not a full Betazoid and all that. Liked the way Picard was so formal. And even though he was not being treated well by Luboxana, he held his own very well. Luboxana is a fantastic character. Lots of positives. A few negatives for me. The ending felt rushed. Some of the moments were just kind of okay. I think I'm going to give this episode a 7.5 out of 10 plunging backlines. I also liked this episode. Bringing in a new, strong, well-developed character like Luboxana, plus developing characters we're already familiar with, like Riker and Troy, was great. I really appreciated that. I liked the plot, and I even liked what they were trying to do with Wyatt by making him not a manly man type, like we alluded to before. But ultimately, he just came across kind of weak, like they weren't quite sure how to portray that. And they really dropped the ball (laughs) with the dialogue in the last five minutes or so. So overall, I'd give this episode 7 out of 10 chameleon roses. This has been Season 1, Episode 11, Haven. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Next Generation Podcast. Well, that was fun. Are you going to stop recording? Nope. Going to go on forever <laughs> and ever, baby. Going to uh, keep going and going and going and going. I think two days was too long to wait. Shh, don't tell them that. Oh. They you shouldn't he- know that. You heard nothing. Heard nothing. Follow us on Twitter. Add us at the next next gen.